Welcome to the podcast of Vineyard Church Cardiff. We are a church that is learning to live like Jesus for the restoration of our city and the renewal of our nation. During the coronavirus outbreak, we have both online and in-person gatherings across all of our sites in and around Cardiff. So wherever you feel comfortable at the moment, you can engage with church. You can find all of the details you'll need on our website, vineyardcardiff.org Sundays. Here's this week's talk from our associate pastor, Alice Meads. Hello, I wanted uh, to begin today by telling you about a moment I had a couple of weeks ago. Um, And uh, I'd I'd been feeling really grumpy, to be honest. (laughs) Um, My youngest son um, had been uh, being homeschooled at home by me because there'd been a positive test in his year group. That child is now fine and my son was fine um, but I'd been homeschooling again and as such I'd been kind of trying to juggle homeschooling and working and just life you know I'm sure some of you uh, can relate and um, I've just been feeling really really grumpy and Matt and I we'd had kind of one of those weeks where we'd been a bit kind of snippy with each other I'm sure no couples out there can relate and um, And so that morning I'd got up and I'd spent some time uh, reading my Bible and praying, you know, start the day, which we're talking about, and I'd kind of been in in Jesus' presence. And uh, as such, I'd been reading a bit from uh, the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus um, was talking about anger and um, and what our response should be to our anger. And I felt really convicted that I'd been being so grumpy. Um, And uh, so, you know, I kind of prayed and I resolved to try harder. And I went downstairs um, after that and kind of instantly Matt and I had a miscommunication about something, a disagreement about something. And I was so frustrated with myself mainly (laughs) and um, just felt so grumpy all over. And a short while later, I went back upstairs into my room and my Bible was still open on that page that I'd read. And uh, I sat down on my bed and I prayed to God and I prayed this I was like God how can I change how is change possible how is it that I'm all the way over here when I want to be over there have you ever thought this or prayed this that you wanted to see more change in your life that frustrated that you're stuck here and uh, over the next few weeks that's what we're going to be looking at we have been talking Um, As a church, we are journeying through this uh, series called Live Like Jesus. And we believe God is calling us to take seriously and explore what it means to be his disciple. And uh, we're now going to, in the next few weeks, as part of that, look at the process of transformation that takes place as we enter our apprenticeship to Jesus. It's worth saying from the outset that learning to live like Jesus, it's not like kind of flicking on a light switch. It's not like a momentary decision of, oh, do you know what? I'm just going to live like Jesus. (laughs) How did I not thought of that before? Um, It's a lifetime of momentary decisions. You know, whereas many of us will be able to trace back the moment that we first said yes to following Jesus. You know, I remember the moment at the age of 14 where I put my hand up at the end of a meeting and said, yes, I want to follow Jesus. You know, best decision I ever made. But choosing to be his disciple is a lifetime of those moments, a lifetime of saying yes to Jesus. It's a journey and it's a journey of transformation, of moving from here to there. So as we learn to live like Jesus, and we've talked about that, that involves being with Jesus and then and also doing what he did. That as we as we apprentice ourselves in this way, that there is a transformation process that takes place in us. A change occurs as we start to move from here to there. 
And this transformation is both kind of, of of ourselves, you know, our inner transformation of our hearts, our minds, the way that we see ourselves, but also beyond ourselves. That, you know, as people that are being transformed, we then bring transformation to the world around us. You know, that um, uh, we can change patterns of relationships in our, in our family, things that have been that way for years. That as we change, we can change the way that whole family system works or by being someone that is willing to be interruptible and present in the moment and getting to know the neighbours on our street, we can change the whole dynamic of our street. Or by being people that move in more and more integrity, we can change the whole culture of our workplaces. Our transformation should lead to transformation around us. And James is going to talk about that more in a few weeks' time. And also that this journey of transformation is both one that we do go on as an individual, uh, on an individual level, but it's also one that we are called to go on within a community. That a community, a discipling community, can bring about a level of transformation that is just not possible on our own. And Ian is going to talk about that in a couple of weeks' time. So discipleship is this journey of transformation, an invitation of being formed by Jesus and allowing him to change us to look more like him. Now, the truth is, every person is being formed by something. You know, whether it be our culture, our family background, a moment from our childhood that is just, uh, that still shapes how we view the world around us. Maybe it's what we watch on telly, maybe it's our social media, maybe it's our friends. We are all being formed and shaped all the time. So this invitation to discipleship, it's not about whether or not you want to be formed. It's a question of what you want to be formed by or who you want to be formed by in our case. Who or what is forming you? It's interesting because I was planning on delivering this talk both recorded like this, but also in person at the gate this coming Sunday. Um, and of course, there's been a whole other change this week and uh, I'm not able to do that. And as we are in this season of change, I am aware more than ever that Jesus is the only person that I want to form my life, that I want to be in apprenticeship to. He is the only sure foundation to build our lives on, to be formed by. I don't want to be formed by anything else. As we, as we think about transformation, the, the picture I've had, or the image I've had in my mind, is all the way back in Genesis, the first book of the Bible. Um, a verse that talks about the moment where God first created human beings. Genesis 2 verse 7, it says this, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. I feel like that is a great picture of what this invitation um, for us is as disciples, allowing us to be formed by God and allowing him to breathe his life into us. You know, it's his breath in that verse that transforms the man from dust to life. And that's what I'm going to look a bit at today, that, that this, that this um, journey, the driving factor in our transformation process is the life-giving breath of God. It's his spirit at work in us. You know, it's really important as we talk about transformation that we're clear from the outset that it's the Holy Spirit that drives the transformation process. And of course, we have a role to play. We have a part to play in this, and we'll look at that in a minute. But truth be told, it's not an equal partnership. <laughs> I love what John Mark Comer says about this, you know, throughout this series and as we look at discipleship, we are so grateful to a lot of the material John Mark Comer has produced. He's a pastor in the States and also a theological Dallas Willard 
we're using a whole load of their material. And John Mark Comer says this, he says, it's a partnership, transformation is a partnership, but God does the heavy lifting. I love that. It's a bit like when um, I bake a cake with my youngest son. He loves baking and I love cake, so it's a, it's a win-win. <laughs> um, now, when we've made this cake, when we've made a cake for someone, my son will be so proud, it's out of the oven, it's looking nice. My son will be so proud of it, of his creation as he sees it. He will feel such a sense of ownership over it. But truth be told, it's me that's done the heavy lifting, that's done the legwork for the thing. Which actually, I'm sure it's deeply reassuring for anyone that's going to eat said cake. <laughs> you know, it's me the one that has measured it all out, that has made sure that no bits of eggshell have made their way into the mixture, that has kind of done the heavy stirring. I'm more than happy for him to feel a sense of ownership over it. But you know what? It is me that's done the heavy lifting. And as we'll see, you know, we have a part to play in our transformation, but it's God that does the heavy lifting. It's the Holy Spirit that does the transforming in us. Now, we as, as human beings, we all have um, a willpower. We have a, a kind of an ability to affect or to change our behaviours to some degree. I'm not saying that. Of course we can. But this deep level of transformation, of discipleship to Jesus, that cannot be the result of mere human effort alone, of us just exerting more and more willpower over our lives. You know, there are some things that are so deep that need, re that need rewiring that only the Holy Spirit can do in us, that deep work of transformation, that we need, a power, we need access to a power outside of ourselves. You know, the breath of God, as we saw in Genesis 2, that changed the man from dust to life. So I wanted today to, to look at a key passage that helps us understand this process. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and it's uh, just verses 17 to 18. Two relatively short verses, but with loads in them, and I'm just going to kind of spend a bit of time unpicking them. So here goes. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image, with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So let's work through it. The Lord is the Spirit, Paul, who wrote this. That's what he starts by saying, that the Holy Spirit, you know, is the power, the presence, and the person of God. You know, God's empowering presence, and it's the Spirit in work in us. It's the helper that Jesus promised. I love what Paul says, you know, what is the trademark of the Holy Spirit? What is his signature move, if you like? Verse 17, it's freedom. Freedom. Freedom to be the person we were created to be, to be in deep relationship with Jesus. It's the freedom that comes from knowing how deeply loved we are by God. That's what it says in Ephesians 3. That's what the Holy Spirit can bring. Now, throughout this chapter, Paul has been kind of carefully constructing um, an argument using the person of Moses back in the Old Testament. He's been looking at Exodus chapter 34 um, and, and talking about the story of Moses, the moment where Moses encountered the presence of God. Um, at this point in the story of Moses, Moses has led the people out of slavery from Egypt and they're in the desert. And Moses has gone up a mountain, Mount Sinai, to meet with God, to meet with his glory. And all the people are left at the bottom of the mountain. And, has, and as Moses has encountered God and his presence, God has been giving him the Jewish law, you know, the, the kind of instructions for how the people of God should live. And he kind of does this over several sittings, kind of going up and down this mountain. And every time Moses comes down from the mountain, 
Exodus 34 tells us that he had to put a veil over his face because he's encountered the presence of God, the glory of God, so much that his face is like lit up, it's luminous, it's dazzlingly bright. Freaky, I imagine. <laughs> and as he comes down, he has to put this veil over his face so as not to blind the people of God. So bright is his face. Crazy story. And Paul is using it in, these, in this chapter here in 2 Corinthians. And, uh, and kind of as, he's, uh, as he kind of progresses through this chapter, he takes this, this idea of this veil that Moses had to wear and he kind of creates this quite complex metaphor about what this veil was. And, uh, and he argues that it, it kind of signified a degree of separation between God and his people, that only Moses could see the glory of God, be in the presence of God, and that Moses had to then conceal its very power from everyone else. There was this barrier as such between the people, between people and God. And Paul is keen to spell out here in 2 Corinthians, in verse 6, we read that the veil has now been removed because of what Jesus did on the cross in dying for our sin and in overcoming death. Jesus has removed the veil that we all now have access to God's presence in that way, to his spirit. The veil has gone and we are free. And Paul is adamant that we should not put the veil back on, that we shouldn't put a veil back where there is no longer a veil. Paul uses a different um, metaphor in uh, Galatians 5 when he says this, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. I so say it's, it's, it's a different metaphor, but the same language. It's, the, it's Jesus that sets us free and it's the Holy Spirit, his presence, the presence of Jesus that allows us to encounter this freedom. And we are not to put on a veil or to take up this yoke of slavery. That is the opposite of the easy yoke that Jesus offers us. A life of freedom is what's on offer. And the discipleship process, our transformation, you know, it's, it's to live more and more into this freedom that's on offer. Freedom from sin, freedom from fear, freedom from patterns of behaviour, freedom from deadening religiosity. Do you know what's interesting? As soon as you start talking about discipleship, as soon as we start talking about putting some things into practice to help us grow in our discipleship, you know, things like start the day that we've talked about, as soon as we start talking about that, it's really easy for the language of failure to start creeping in, you know, to start saying things like, oh, I'm such a failure when it comes to spending time with Jesus, or I'm rubbish at reading my Bible, or I've let God down this week by not spending time with him. We hear this shame voice that tells us that God is disappointed in us. Or we can be tempted to go the other way, that we start to take pride in our efforts. You know, I've done this, I've spent time with Jesus every day this week, isn't it amazing to be me? You know, different outworkings, but the same thing, where we have unintentionally put on a yoke of slavery, that we are living by a law of do's and don'ts. And for Paul is adamant that we should not do this, that we should not, in our discipleship to Jesus, unintentionally pick up a yoke of slavery. How do we stop doing this? Well, it's the spirit in us that can break this off us. Only by the Holy Spirit can we stop doing this. It's the Holy Spirit that can offer us freedom from shame, from a, doing things out of a sense of obligation, from a religious heart. It's the Holy Spirit that can make this discipleship process life-giving, deeply transformational and free. We cannot do this in our own effort. Paul continues in verse 18, he says this, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory. So unveiled faces, with picking up an easy yoke, we get 
to contemplate him. We get to contemplate, to see the Lord's glory. Contemplate is from the, from the Greek word katoptritso, um, a tricky word to say, but it means that it kind of has this sense of looking in a mirror, of beholding something. That we get to behold, we get to see, we get to stare at the face of Jesus, to behold him. That's what it, we talk about when we're talking about abiding with him, being with him. It's to create that space to behold him. And Paul says as we do this that we are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory. Being, being transformed, being, it's something that happens to us. Like in Genesis 2, that breath of God, it's something that happens to us. God does the forming. And, uh, and, uh, and in transformation, it's the word, the Greek word uh, metamorpho. You know, where we get words like metamorphosis or metamorphic rock. If, uh, if my geography days are back at a long time ago now, um, if they kind of serve me correctly, you know, metamorphic rock is rock that um, was once one type of rock and then with heat and pressure, it has changed into something uh, entirely different, an entirely different kind of rock. That's the kind of transformation process that's on offer. It's not just a kind of a, a change here and there, kind of. It's, it's, it's a complete overhaul, a radical overhaul. So we are uh, being transformed. Is what, is what Paul is saying here. And this verb being transformed, it's this tense that we don't really have in Greek, it's this, um, in English we don't have, but the Greek sense is of this kind of present, continuous, kind of continually being transformed. It's happening over time, every moment, this journey of transformation. So we're being transformed into what? Paul says, Paul says, his image. To look more like Jesus. I love how the message version translates this bit of uh, verse 18. He, uh, Eugene Peterson says that our lives are gradually becoming brighter and more beautiful as God enters our lives and we become like him. We start to look more like our redeemer. You know, I've talked about moving from kind of here to there. Well, the there is Jesus. To look like him and to live like him. And Paul then finishes these, this verse by kind of reiterating, by driving home his point in case we've not got it yet, that this all comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. It's the Spirit that drives our transformation. Let's drive that point home. And this can happen both in a moment of kind of profound encounter, you know, maybe, maybe you've had one of these, a moment where you've encountered the Holy Spirit um, and, and his power and his presence. And it's a moment where it's like God does some kind of deep rewiring in you, a deep work in you. You know, I've uh, always uh, struggled with anxiety in my life. I know this is something I've talked a bit about over the last few months that, you know, it kind of almost feels like it's something that was kind of hardwired into me as a little girl. And as a teenager, at times it felt overwhelming. And in, in my 20s, I was kind of feeling frustrated and wanting to kind of to, to start to unpick this and rewire this. And I remember going to a, to a church meeting and um, having some prayer at the end and someone prayed for me who didn't know this about me and they, they put their hand on my head and they just said, Jesus says, do not worry. And in that moment, I was like, the Holy Spirit hit me. I was full of his power and I literally kind of stacked it. I fell to the floor, which might sound weird if you've uh, not ever experienced that. It's just because God is powerful. And in that moment of God's power falling me, it's like my body couldn't take it. And I fell to the floor, but in a great way, God was doing something deep and loving and kind in me in that moment. And I remember afterwards, you know, picking myself off the floor, feeling a bit embarrassed, walking home. <clears throat> and it was like I was walking on air. I was so full of the peace of God. It was like this breakthrough moment of God doing some rewiring in me, the spirit rewiring me, something that felt like it had been hardwired. 
It was a moment of deep discipleship, like sped up in a, into a moment. Kind of the, the, the analogy I have of what that's like, what that's like is like, um, you know, I did years of kind of Christian youth work, church youth work, and you would see the same, you know, see a bunch of kids week in, week out. And then you'd go and do a weekend away together. And it was like in that weekend away, you did um, kind of more community, more connection than you would have had all year. It was like this kind of like sped up, um, kind of intense version of community. And that's what it's like when we have those moments of encounter with the presence of God, like kind of an intense moment of deep transformation. So there's those moments, but then there is also the week in, week out. You know, the slow plot of life, the day-to-day, -day, the unglamorous, the mundane. <clears throat> I love how um, Eugene, Eugene Peterson calls it, or refers to it. He's quoting Nietzsche, of all people, but he says this, that discipleship is a long obedience in the same direction. And uh, in Galatians, elsewhere in the New Testament, Paul writes about what, um, what we should see in us as we undertake that long obedience in the same direction, what our character should be like, what the fruits of the Spirit should be like, a byproduct, not something that we force, but just what happens as the Spirit does this week in, week out, day by day, transforming in us, that we should display more love, joy, peace, peace patience, kindness, and so on. So it's interesting to think as we, as we look at the fruits of the Spirit, that's Galatians 5, if you want to look it up, that, that these qualities that we should show as the Holy Spirit grows that fruit in us, they're not just nice qualities, but they are the qualities of Jesus, that we should display the same fruit as Jesus, that we are being transformed, as Paul says here in Corinthians, and 2 Corinthians, we are being transformed into his image. Those fruits, they are, that is what Jesus is like. Now it's interesting because whilst the Holy Spirit did that profound thing in me um, in that moment years ago, a decade ago now, um, it's not like then from that moment on I've never had anxiety. And actually it's still something that I've done, so I had to do some really deep work in, in my life, in the week by week as things have come up, you know, in what, you know, the course of a decade. It's not like that was instantly gone. That, that in that moment the Spirit did some rewiring, but I've still also been chipping away at it. It's both and, allowing his life-changing presence um, to bring more and more freedom in this area. And it's still something I'm on a journey in with him. So the Spirit's work in us can both be in a moment and over a lifetime. So I just want to finish briefly by thinking about what is our role? You know, is our role just to be kind of passive and just assume that, you know, we can just kind of get on our merry way and let the Holy Spirit do his thing? You know, it's like, 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 like when you leave the house and let the plumber service the boiler for you, you know, that's uh, literally happening today as it, <laughs> as it happens. And I'm happy just to let the plumber get on and do it. I'm happy not to be involved. But it doesn't work like that with the Spirit. St. Augustine is quoted, uh, is supposed to have said this, that without God, we cannot, and without, God, without us, God will not. You know, our role is to build our lives, to frame our lives, to, um, uh, to, to have our lives in, in a way such that the Holy Spirit can do this deep work, that we give permission to him to do this work, and then we structure our lives to allow him to do that. You know, that's what the spiritual practices and rhythms are that they create, as it were, the conditions for growth, the conditions for change, for transformation. You know, things like start the day, that rhythm, or practices such as silence and solitude, or fasting, or, or prayer, or generosity, or compassion, or justice. Those, those practices, they, they put us in a place where we can, as Paul says in verse 18, that we can contemplate his glory, where we can gaze on his face and receive his power that transforms us, the spirit that transforms us, that opens us up to his power at work in us. 
And I started by talking about some of the feelings of obligation we can have as we start to do these practices or we put these rhythms in place. Maybe that's how you feel about start the day, you know, a sense of heaviness, that it's something that you have to do, that it's an obligation. One more thing to fit in to your already busy day, your crazy morning. But if we allow the Holy Spirit to give us a vision of Jesus as we contemplate him, like in a mirror, a vision of Jesus, a vision of what our lives could be like if we looked more like him, you know, um, of what our lives could be like if we engaged with this transformational process of discipleship, if we experience the freedom that is on offer, freedom from our stuff, freedom from our fear, freedom from anger, freedom from um, patterns of behaviour, freedom from a religious heart. If we allow ourselves to glimpse that, then the spiritual practices, rhythms like this, they're not something, they, they move from being something that you feel like you should do, they become an invitation that you say yes to. That's what they become. The invitation you say yes to. The invitation Jesus offers us in Matthew 11. The easy yoke. This is how the message puts it. This is what the invitation is. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn from him. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. That's an invitation worth saying yes to. Coming back to where I started, that story of me feeling frustrated and fed up with my lack of change, fed up that this change wasn't achieved in an instant of reading the Bible and then doing it. I then took a moment in my, in my room that morning to commit myself once more to the process of the Holy Spirit working in me, of saying yes to the way of Jesus, to staying in his presence, to allowing him to change me, to, to learning to live freely and lightly, to, to allowing him, the Holy Spirit, to produce that freedom in me. And you know what? I have to do this. I have to stay close to Jesus. There's no other option but to build my life on discipleship with him. At least there's no other good option. <laughs> Our role as disciples is to commit ourselves to allow room for the Holy Spirit to do this process of transformation in us, to cooperate with him as he transforms us and to do this with great joy. <laughs> what else is there that can form us and change us in such a way? Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Amen.